Why is an Ulster fry better than a full English? <laughs> right, uh, it's not a joke. Sounds like one. Why is an Ulster fry? But it's not a joke. Um, it's just a fact. Uh, an Ulster fry is better than a full English for two reasons, I think. Potato bread and soda bread. Having the best cooked breakfast is all about having the right ingredients. And just like there are a number of, of key ingredients uh, in a good cooked breakfast, uh, there are a number of key features in the life of a spirit-filled church. Last week we saw that on the day of Pentecost, uh, 3,000 people responded to Peter's evangelistic sermon about Jesus. They were baptised and they received the Holy Spirit. So now we've, we've got this huge crowd of people who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, and they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. But then what happened? What, what came next? How, how did they then live? Well, in the passage uh, we're looking at this morning, uh, Luke gives us a portrait of those early days of the New Testament church. We're looking, at, just as a reminder, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And in these six verses, Luke lists about seven features of their life together. Seven ingredients, if you like, of a spirit-filled church. The first four are in verse 42. So have a look down there with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, page 1094. And we'll see these first four of, of those ingredients. It says... They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Okay, that's the first uh, four. The remaining uh, three features or ingredients are in verses 45, 46, and 47. So have a look with me at verse 45. It says, they gave to anyone as he had need. In other words, they cared for each other. Now verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and ate together. They welcomed each other into their houses and lives. And finally, verse 47, the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. So they didn't stop telling people that Jesus of Nazareth is the Lord and Saviour. Those are the seven features that Luke mentions, and I think we can kind of boil those down into two main things. What these seven features show is that a spirit-filled church is a, a group of people devoted to Jesus and devoted to one another. Would you say St. Bridges can be described that way? A spirit-filled church is a group of people devoted to Jesus and devoted to one another. And that devotion is seen in these seven ways we've just listed. And what we're going to do uh, now together is go through them one by one and apply them to our life here at St. Bridget's. So first of all, a healthy church, a spirit-filled church, devotes itself to the apostles' teaching. If you can remember uh, back in chapter 1 of Acts, we saw that the apostles were men personally chosen, instructed, and appointed by Jesus as his witnesses. It was through the apostles that he chose to speak to his people and to the world. 
They were his authoritative spokesmen and representatives. When we uh, say the Nicene Creed together after this sermon, we will say, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Now, in case you don't know, Catholic there doesn't mean Roman Catholic. Uh, it means worldwide or universal. So what we'll be saying is we believe in one worldwide church set apart as holy to God and that that church is apostolic. It's built upon the foundation of the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles aren't, of course, alive uh, today, but the New Testament is a collection of 27 books and letters written or authorised by those apostles. The way we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching is by devoting ourselves to the message of the New Testament and to the Old Testament scriptures interpreted the way the apostles interpreted it in the light of the death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And that means we need teachers in the church who stand in line with the apostles. It's not hard to find teachers who misuse the Bible, who disagree with the apostles, or prefer their own understanding of Jesus. Please, please then, be careful who you listen to, whose message you buy into, which books and teachers you allow to teach you. Jesus told us that the wolves dress in sheep's clothing, so please be careful. A healthy church, a spirit-filled church, is a church that devotes itself to Jesus by being devoted to the Bible as taught by the apostles. And a healthy Christian is a Christian who devotes themselves to the Bible. The Bible is the way that we learn about Jesus, grow in our understanding of who he is and what he's doing, and deepen our own relationship with him. Back in uh, London, I had a friend called Shane uh, and at 14 years old, Shane couldn't read. And he was into drugs uh, and graffiti and petty crime, that sort of thing. He was totally failing at school. By the age of 21, Shane had been offered a place for a master's degree in history at Cambridge University. What changed? Well, firstly, Shane became a Christian. Jesus found him, forgave him, and filled him with the Holy Spirit. And as a newborn Christian, Shane had a, a deep desire to know Jesus better through the Bible. So he learned to read, so that he could read his Bible. And as a byproduct of learning to read, he completed his A-levels and went to university to study history. Like Shane, Luke says the early church was a church devoted to the teaching of the apostles, devoted to the scriptures, to the Bible. So St. Bridget's, let's be devoted to the teaching of the apostles. Let's be devoted to the Bible because we are devoted to Jesus. The next key feature of the church is in verse 42 is fellowship. This fledgling church was devoted to Jesus and they were devoted to one another. That word fellowship means a close bond. They were bound to one another in love. 
Verse 46 tells us they met together every day. Church meetings weren't something they went to if they had nothing else better to do. Becoming a follower of Jesus wasn't a small hobby that they added on to their personal plans for their lives. Now, following Jesus changed their life and their plans. It brought them all together like a family. Jesus' church is a place where the people who were indirectly responsible for crucifying him were welcomed, loved, served, and cared for. Christian fellowship isn't about like-minded, similar types of people spending small amounts of time together. The church is a family and a home for all sorts of people, young and old, male and female, fit and frail, single and married, highly educated, those with no qualifications, rich and poor, everything in between, people who are in paid work, people who are not in paid work, disabled, able-bodied, working class, middle class, people who like sport, who like bands, who like books, who like gardening, who like going for walks, who like staying at home. Isn't that beautiful? That Jesus has created a family where everyone can find a place, where everyone is loved. And verses 45 and 46 give us some detail of what that fellowship looked like in practice. Verse 45, it says, Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. So nobody in that church went without. Nobody was left to struggle. If someone needed help and someone else had some property or valuables that they could sell, then they sold their stuff and used the money to help a brother or sister in need. What mattered more in the church wasn't money, wealth or comfort, but people. These were people who Jesus gave up his life for. In return, it wasn't so hard for them to give up their selfishness and make sure every one of them was provided for. One of the ways that we express this at St. Bridget's is that out of the money that we all donate to the church, the Select Vestry keeps some set aside uh, as a kind of hardship fund. If there, it's there for me to use uh, if anyone comes to me really in need of some financial help. Uh, it's all done totally confidentially. I'm the only one who ever knows who receives that money. Um, and so I just want to say, uh, please do come and see me if you need some help. That money is there for you. We're a family. We don't want you to struggle. But the church in Acts 2 didn't just do handouts. The love went deeper. They welcomed each other into their lives. They didn't just chat over coffee after the service. Rather, they invited each other into their own homes. They put in effort to build friendships with each other. For them, church wasn't a once-a-week appointment. It was a family. We see in verse 46, it says, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching about Jesus. They were devoted to one another. And thirdly, and this kind of brings the two of those things together, they were devoted to the breaking of bread which, as best as I can tell, is a reference to what we now call Holy Communion. Later on, we'll hear in the words of institution, Jesus took bread, 
gave thanks to God, broke it, and gave it to them. The breaking of bread is about sharing together in a meal. And the bread in Holy Communion symbolizes Jesus' body. By sharing in that bread, we show that we are all united together because we are all united to Jesus. Another way of understanding Holy Communion is it's like a fellowship meal from the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. Um, I guess these fellowship meals were, were still happening in the temple where these first Christians were still meeting together day by day. And a fellowship meal was where a sacrifice was offered to God, and once it had been roasted on the altar, the people who offered it sat down at a table to eat it in the temple. The idea that was that you were having dinner at God's house because you were welcome there, welcome on the basis of having offered him that sacrifice. You could eat with him at his house. And the sacrifice offered to God for us is Jesus. His death on the cross was our sacrifice. And so now we have our own fellowship meal with God. The table behind me is not an altar, it's never called that. It's a table. That is a dining table. And we come to this table to share in a meal with God. And the food at the meal reminds us why we have fellowship with God. The bread and the wine remind us of the body of Jesus crucified on the cross, and the wine reminds us of the blood he shed for the forgiveness of our sins. See, Holy Communion was instituted by Jesus to reassure us that we have fellowship with one another and fellowship with God through him, through his body and blood, because he died for us. It's an amazing meal. The fourth key feature of the Spirit-filled church is prayer. And when Luke says in verse 42, they were devoted to prayer, he doesn't mean each one of them did a lot of praying. He's talking about the prayers, organized times of prayer for the whole church. See, if Jesus is alive and he's our king, then it makes sense that his people would gather to speak to him. Here at St. Bridget's, praying together is part of every Sunday service. But in the book of Acts, on a number of occasions, we see the church gathered to pray, and prayer isn't part of what they're doing. It's the whole reason for the meeting. And that is something like what we do at our monthly church prayer meeting. We devote ourselves to prayer. Now, probably for some of us, prayer has always been either a formal or private thing. It happens in Sunday services, or when we're by ourselves. It's not necessarily something we do with others informally. But what we see in Acts is a church that gathers together to pray. And that's because they knew that the power to turn from their sins, to live as disciples of Jesus and proclaim his name to unbelievers didn't come from them. That power comes from the Holy Spirit. And so they need to ask him call on him, depend on him. Did you see recently in the news those new high-resolution scans of the Titanic? Uh, they sent down submersible cameras to the wreck and it took 700,000 photos and made a full-size 3D digital model of the ship. And there's so much detail, you can make out little things like the serial numbers on the propellers, on the ship's propellers. 
Now those propellers, they pushed the Titanic through ocean waters, but they couldn't have done that without power. The Titanic was powered by two 30-foot-high, 15,000-horsepower engines. Without those, the ship could go nowhere. And when the church meets to pray, it's like turning on the engines. Prayer is our connection to the power we need in order to be a healthy church. Let's not be a church that takes God for granted and runs on empty. Let's be a church that depends on the power of the Holy Spirit in prayer. Which is why we don't have a prayer meeting because some people like praying. We have a prayer meeting because we can do nothing without Jesus enabling it. A spirit-filled church that's devoted to Jesus is a church that gathers to pray. And the final feature of the spirit-filled church we're going to look at this morning is evangelism. We looked at verses 45 and 46 when we thought about fellowship, so now we come to the final verse, verse 47. Have a look down at it with me and we'll read it again. The last sentence. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. One of the key ways the church shows its devotion to Jesus uh, is by telling people about him persuading people that Jesus of Nazareth is the Lord and Saviour and urging them to repent and be baptised. The chief evangelists, of course, were the apostles, but we see later on in Acts that the gospel was spread through ordinary conversations as much as it was spread through preaching. So how many times have you brought up Jesus in a conversation with somebody? A hundred times? Fifty times? Maybe ten times? Twice? Once? It can be really hard, can't it, to know how to do it, or even when to do it, or even to want to do it. But here's some reassurance. It's not only the quality of what you say, or it's not even the quality of what you say that saves someone. See, Jesus can use whatever you say about him to save people. It says, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Your own best efforts by yourself can't save anybody, but Jesus can use what you say about him. Even if it's not quite right or you struggle a bit, he can use that to save people. The Lord is the one who saves. And that's what the result is. They are saved. Luke calls it being saved because without Jesus, we're enslaved to sin and in danger of judgment. People need saving, and a church devoted to Jesus talks about Jesus so that through our words, Jesus will save them. So what should the key ingredients of our life together at St. Bridget's be? Isn't this a good passage always to have in mind? says we're to be a church devoted to Jesus and devoted to one another by being devoted to the Bible, to prayer, to Holy Communion, to loving, caring fellowship, and to telling people about Jesus. And we're going to end now by praying that we really would devote ourselves to those things. Let's pray.
Holy Spirit, we pray that by your power at work in us, you would make us into a church devoted to Jesus and devoted to one another. Stir our hearts to be hungry for the teaching of the apostles, to love one another deeply from the heart, to depend on you in prayer, to gather round your table, and to make you known, Lord Jesus, through our words and actions. Bind us together in love. May we glorify you and may the church grow all to your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.